0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Connecticut Certification Board. The CCB is a non-for-profit workforce development organization whose mission is to protect the public by enhancing recovery-oriented workforce capacity. The opinions expressed in this publication are those of the host and guests, and they do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of the board. My name is Jeffrey Kwame, Executive Director of the CCB, and I'm your host for today's program. On behalf of the board and the staff, I'd like to welcome you to Scope of Practice. As the field of SUD counseling changed in the 1970s to a more professional model that focused more on treatment episodes, the stage was set for the development of new non-clinical roles that were much more concerned with the entirety of long-term recovery process. These roles were identified as a recovery coach slash mentor slash guide and recovery court specialist, recovery co- uh, recovery support specialist. These coaches, etc., draw their legit- legitimacy from what Thomas Eden Borkman, a sociology professor at George Mason University, called experiential knowledge and experiential expertise nearly forty-five years ago. As America's premier recovery advocate and writer, William White has explained experiential knowledge is formation acquired about addiction recovery through the process of one's recovery or being with others through the recovery process. Experiential expertise requires the ability to transform this knowledge into the skill of helping others achieve and sustain recovery. Many people have acquired experiential knowledge about recovery but only those who have the added dimension of experiential expertise are ideal candidates for the role of recovery coach. Interestingly, conventional wisdom regarding recovery coaching permeates the field today is that, for lack of a better description, those with their own recovery histories have a proverbial birthright to be a recovery coach. That contradicts Mr. White's broader definition that experience and knowledge and expertise Uh, which is defined as the ability to transform knowledge to skill. Joining us today is Ruth Riddick. Ruth is an expert recovery coach from Dublin, Island, by way of New York. She is president and CEO of Sobriety Together, a coaching, training, and mentoring entity where she develops and delivers custom professional training programs and original multimedia materials. A certified addiction recovery coach and trainer, Ruth is acknowledged as a peer recovery subject matter expert. Thanks for joining us today, Ruth.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's absolutely a pleasure always to spend time with you. (laughs) Well, I
0: appreciate that. Um, I'd like to start out today with something that that you and I have discussed on a few occasions, the state of recovery coaching in the industry today. Based upon the unique position you have to see things both from that 5,000-foot level and with a boots-on-the-ground perspective, how would you describe the role of what recovery coaches are doing today?
1: Oh my goodness, Jeff. Uh please don't ask me anything small. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um coming to you uh, coming to you this beautiful sunshiny day from uh downtown Brooklyn, New York City. Um, my home for the, the, the last ten years. And where I practice as a recovery coach. Um and I think that's really where um uh, where I'd like to start, if I may, uh Jeff. Um is talking about you know sort of who I am and where my priorities lie in this conversation certainly uh thank you i i mean i I would hesitate to call myself a subject matter expert or you know a, a, an expert on anything particularly um but I do have a very passionate commitment and um a, you you notice or you'll remember when I first presented you with my business card for a uh, sobriety together. My business card, you know, gives all the usual information uh, about how to contact me, phone number and uh, email address and Facebook and website and all that blather. Um, but the two most important words on my, uh, my sobriety together, a business card, are the words recovery coach. And that's how I identify myself. I am a recovery coach, I've been a recovery coach for um, 16, 17 years now, um, with a practice um, uh, here in New York City, and prior to that, my practice was in Washington, D.C., where I lived, two very different cities, but the practice is essentially the same, Um, and the practice has its uh, roots in the professional practice of coaching. As as you said in your introductory uh, remarks, coaching is recognized as a non clinical professional practice. No client goes to a coach um, in order to get a prescription for anything, however necessary that prescription might be, um, because coaches aren't uh, medical personnel. Um, Nobody goes to a coach thinking that mistaking that coach for a spiritual advisor. Um, you, um, uh, you go to um, a recognized um, spiritual leader or uh, for spiritual advice. Nobody goes um, to a coach um, in lieu of uh, uh, of, going, uh, of approaching other professionals who are specifically going to offer you services like dentistry. I wouldn't go to a coach looking for uh, for dental services. And although while I'm in the middle of a coaching conversation, I might possibly ask you, oh, by the way, do you happen to know any dentists who go live on the drugs? Because I'm in recovery and I really don't want to be exposed to any unnecessary drugs. Perfectly um, an ordinary question to ask in, um, in coaching and it's, an, it's a question um, to which a recovery coach might be able to bring that extra piece of information because those of us in recovery at some point in, uh, or another as we've been putting our lives back together, we've asked that very same question. And we've uh, researched it either for ourselves or with the help of a friend or indeed with the help of another recovery coach. And, uh, and maybe I do have in, uh, on my uh, smartphone quick dial, maybe I do have a, a dentist who will be able to help you with whatever it is that's going on with your teeth. But I don't pretend to be a dentist either. I simply am, uh, am not. But I am a coach, and I am a coach in the sense that the coaching profession um, defines coaching as being that um, uh, that open-ended relationship which is focused on purposeful conversation, where the individual or the client' goal can be articulated. Um, And uh, strategies can be developed collaboratively to meet those goals, uh, to make those changes or to get to the point where a specific um, change that might be uh, under consideration no longer seems relevant and we can, uh, the, the individual or the client can then decide, yeah, well, you know, that was a good idea for five minutes while we, you know, while we talked about it and um, and looked at what would be involved, but I've decided not to uh, not to pursue that. That would be a very successful coaching conversation as well. So that's what my business card at Sobriety Together uh, says. The two most important words on it are that I am a recovery coach, non-clinical, as you said in your introduction. The other business card that I carry in my wallet these days and have done for the past five years is uh, that of a uh, community outreach at the New York Certification Board. The New York Certification Board um, had quartered in Albany, uh, New York, which is obviously uh, the seat of government, uh, state government in uh, New York State. The New York Certification Board has, as its mission, um, to certify professionals in peer recovery. That is to say, in the non-clinical profession of, uh, of providing coaching-based um, support services um, for people looking to establish or um, or strengthen their uh, their personal recovery. Again, on that business card, as you have seen, the credentials attached to my name start with the letters C A R C. And C-A-R-C is a credential that stands for Certified Addiction Recovery Coach. It's um, hilariously referred to in in our profession as cock. I'm a cock. Sounds like the noise a duck might make. But the, the Certified Addiction Recovery Coach credential is really important to me personally. Um, It advertised, if you like, it says about me that I care so deeply for my practice as a recovery coach that I I went through the process of becoming certified by a a disinterested third party, a certification board exactly uh, sister to your organization, the Connecticut Certification Board. Um, and NYSDB in New York um, enjoy great collegial relationships with the Connecticut Certification Board. Um, uh, it's a real it's a real pleasure to work with new folks, and um, I very much enjoy the back and forth between our two organizations.
0: Well, that's mutual, I assure you.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, the the, the card credential they say was important to me because it demonstrates that I um, that I took training that is required by the certification standards, and um, I fulfilled all of those certification standards, including signing my name on every page of the Professional Code of Ethical Conduct. That is to say, the code of ethics for the peer recovery profession um, in, uh, in New York State. Um, so so the public knows And from the moment you or any other member of the public looks at my business card um, uh, as community outreach at ASAP NYCB, the first thing you notice about my credential as a certified addiction recovery coach um, is that I hold it and that I am personally deeply committed to being accountable as a professional to a third party um, certification board. I think that that's a real value for the public at large, um, and for people who might want to uh, uh, consult with me uh, and become clients of mine as uh, uh, as a coach. Um, you know, because it, it it says that um, it says that they are uh, protected by uh, my profession's code of ethical conduct. That if I do uh, for any under any Unforeseeable circumstances to me, but if I do, for uh, some uh, for some reason, um, violate that code, violate the ethical standards of my uh, coaching profession, my peer recovery coaching profession, that, uh, that uh, my clients and the public uh, at large have recourse to complaint against me at the level of the New York Certification Board. Um, who take ethical complaints like yourselves at, at, um, at the certification uh, sorry, at the Connecticut Certification Board? Um, uh, ethical complaints are taken very seriously against people holding these credentials, um, and uh, sanctions against against uh, professionals uh, committing egregious breach of ethical code um, include um, actually stripping us of that certification. Um, so there's uh, there's transparency and accountability built into the the credential, and that's why I proudly hold a CARC uh, a designation uh, credential uh, certification after my name on my card. So that's who that's who I am. Yeah, that's who I am.
0: Jeff. <laughs> One of the things that I tell people about certification is something that you touched on, and I find it incredibly important. Um, as a certification body, we serve those individuals that receive services from an in, from a professional by ensuring that somebody practices within a specific code of ethics, um, by offering protection for that client and for their family. That when they come in and receive a service, they know what they can expect and they know that they're going to be protected because that person has showed through a a application and work process that they are competent to perform the skills of the task. So it's completely voluntary and I hold individuals that that wanna put that extra effort in to show their competency Uh, and protect the clients they serve i hold them in in very high esteem because they don't have to do that but they choose to like you said and carry that very proudly
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely and you touched on two values that i think that all professionals hold in common is the value of transparency of practice um, this is who I am, uh, this is what I do, and this is um how I will uh, try to help you, uh, this, this is the scope and limit of how I might be able to be of service and um, within this role, um, these are all transparent uh, a part of practice and um, an essential value in uh, professional service delivery, but also um, that I am accountable. And I am accountable to my profession's code of ethical conduct, just as any profession, any professional we go to um, is accountable under that profession's code of ethical conduct. And I think that that accountability piece, which is where the protection of the public piece comes uh, comes uh, really into play, I think that that's a really important, uh, really important component here.
0: Yeah, that that accountability is is on a very large scale because it's accountability to the individual served, it's accountability to whatever organization that may employ somebody, it's accountability to the field of recovery coaching, and it's also accountability to the larger field of of substance use disorder, uh, prevention, treatment, and recovery. So it's many levels of accountability that someone is assuming when they do that
1: precisely right um, and how important uh, how important is that and um, and it's because of uh, the the seriousness of this commitment that uh, the New York certification board publishes its, uh, its code of uh, uh, its professional code of ethical conduct for peer recovery professionals like me. That code is posted on the website. so the public the public at any time, can refer to the code, Um, and the code is published in tandem with an ethics complaint form. And uh, any individual is uh, invited to submit an ethics uh, complaint form uh, using material that is readily accessible, using a form that's immediately available um, on, uh, on the website. So the New York Certification Board, same with yourselves in Connecticut, and takes this responsibility very seriously indeed. Ethics complaints are uh, fully and thoroughly investigated um, and um, and reviewed by a specially convened ethics subcommittee of the New York certification board um, which reviews um, which reviews and recommends um, action um, when uh, complaints are placed before. it. So there's a whole process in place been, been in place forever, that is to say it predates my um, particularly or formal involvement in the peer recovery profession and um, it's important to me
0: You had mentioned um, transparency before and when you publish a a list of your disciplinary procedures and how the investigation, what steps have to occur and individuals' responsibilities um, that makes the disciplinary process transparent as well so that a client or somebody making a complaint can prepare, and somebody who's notified that a complaint has been lodged against them also has time to prepare. So it becomes a very fair process.
1: Exactly, exactly right, and um, and there's always a right of reply, and um, so uh, so yes, transparency is a key value there, and um, the other piece of transparency. Um, around a, a certification that, that, that has a lot of significance for me is, um, is, uh, is making it possible for the public to understand um, what are the competencies of a, a peer recovery professional. Um, you know, what, um, you know so what competencies can I reasonably expect an individual um, who holds a certified addiction recovery coach credential or a certified recovery peer advocate credential, um, or um, you know, sort of any of the credentials across the spectrum in the peer recovery uh, profession? You know, sort of the public needs to know what are the competencies attached to those credentials, not just the standards and um, you know the, the, the hoops I must jump through, if you like. In order to get credentialed, but what are uh, you know what what am I competent in? If I hold a certified addiction recovery coach credential as I do, uh, the public has a right to know what what am I what may they expect me to be competent in? And for that reason, um, the, the New York Certification Board publishes the, uh, the competencies, the world competencies for each of its certifications so that, again, um, in the interest of transparency, um, readers of the website can immediately access that information. Oh, this is what the scope and limits of um, roots professional credential are. Uh, These are the scope and limits of somebody else's uh, differing uh, peer recovery credential and so on. Um, and uh, you know certainly uh, we believe at the New York Certification Board that that level of transparency um, is important in promoting the profession of uh, recovery coaching, which is also, of course, I mean as a long-term recovery coach, uh, promoting the profession itself um, is a, re- a real importance to me.
0: What you've described is a, a, a really a good picture of what certification boards around the country do. Um, the, there are idiosyncrasies between each board and, and it a little differently, but the idea about transparency and an important word you said earlier was disinterested third party. That's really what a certification board is. And it doesn't mean disinterested in the process. It just means it's objective as opposed to being subjective. And one of the things about our, and and in New York, um, the procedures are are fairly similar to what we do. And, and, you know, we've talked about that, but it's the fact that it's, it's um, objective in its nature. There's very little subjectivity. I don't get to approve someone because I like what they have to say, or I Dislike them. It's really, these are the standards that, that have to be met, you know, and that, once those are all met, you're eligible for an examination, and the examination is the same for everybody else. Um, that it's a very, very objective process.
1: Uh, exactly right. That that um, that there's credibility attached to the process as well as transparency. There's credibility here, um, and I would be remiss, Jess, if I wouldn't take this opportun- If I didn't take this opportunity to thank you, folks at the, uh, the Connecticut Certification Board. For, um, for your assistance down through the years, it was the, uh, the Connecticut Certification Board who really supported ASAP in New York State in establishing the New York Certification Board um, in the first place. Um, your collegial um, relationship with us from the start has been invaluable. and um, And of course, it also means that the two organisations share share some DNA, and we certainly, I think, share share values um, as far as uh, certifications, um, in terms of their credibility, in terms of their uh, their uh, validity, in terms of transparency of processes, in terms of accountability. I think we share those values between us, and um, and I think that, um, that 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 level of of shared value between certification boards, and um, that that's important for the public as well that um you know sort of none of us in our individual states live in a bubble. Um, uh, individual state certification boards may administer certifications locally in that state but um but we share a a, a commitment to and values and um, uh, in many respects, uh, the actual credentials between, our, between us. Um, so, we're not just talking about New York State. We're not just talking about Connecticut. We're talking about the United States and we're talking about the profession, the peer recovery profession. Um, and we're talking about coaching as a professional practice. Um, and I think that that's very important. Uh, for the public to understand, for our potential clients, the individuals we work with to understand. Um, and also I think it gives that, that extra level of uh, credibility and motivation for individuals who might want to join us as professionals in this mission.
0: One of the things that you and I have spoken about um, almost ad nauseum, I think, as we can never stop talking about it, is the role of the coach, whether they're working in an agency or without. Um, because I have a, a long clinical background, um, and, and when I was working clinically, it's been 12 years. We, we weren't using coaches necessarily. Um, but it, what we've seen over the years is kind of, and, and Bill White has said this, you know, organizations kind of co-opting the role. And instead of being recovery supports, for the individuals that are receiving services, the clients, it becomes a support for the clinician, filing, doing all of the kind of of stuff that goes with the job but isn't coaching. You know, um, as, and I think I've heard you say, uh, chauffeur and gopher. You know, the individuals that that are recovery coaches are not chauffeurs and gophers, or they should not be, Um, but that's what agencies have created. How do we kind of address that? Uh, moving forward, what are the things that we can do?
1: Well, um, I trace a lot of these um, uh, these issues that you're raising here, Jeff, back to the uh, the age old question of stigma. Um, people in recovery are still stigmatized. It's fascinating to me that you know uh, that we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of negative slang usages. To describe uh, people suffering from substance use disorder, um, we say a lot of very. Uh, we use a lot of very hurtful um, uh, labels to describe people with substance use disorder. Um, I had expected at some point, um, perhaps it's the idealist still lurking in me, um, but I had uh, expected at some point that people who uh, embrace personal recovery. Um, who committed to whatever uh, recovery pathway works for them, who built, a, who are building a life in recovery, see their life as being synonymous with recovery. I had assumed in my innocence that uh, that such people were um, were taken at face value um, and perhaps even celebrated as heroes making an enormous change, an enormous turnaround in their lives, from being sick and suffering um, and an alcoholic, I'm I'm constantly identifying uh, as an alcoholic, or people using substances, legal and uh, illegal, um, that people who had made that transformation, made that enormous change in their lives, would be embraced and celebrate it by, uh, by our society, by our culture. And um, frankly, Jeff, I would have to say that I don't believe that that has happened. I think the, sti- the stigma per- persists. I think that we have an ingrained belief that um, once an addict, always an addict. Uh, and that does not translate... Into person-friendly language, we do not believe that once a substance, once a sufferer of substance use disorder, always a sufferer of substance use disorder. No, no, we don't say that. We say once an addict, always an addict. And we say things about people uh, who have embraced recovery um, and are living a life in recovery. We say about uh, such folks, we say. Oh, look at those addicts. They're just one drink away from their next dumpster. I've actually heard, I'm afraid I have to say, hand on my heart, I actually heard a clinical supervisor in a well-respected treatment facility in New York State said those exact words to my face.
0: That's pretty shocking, but it's also, I don't think... It's unique. I think it happens all over.
1: I agree. I think it's absolutely pervasive. I think it's pervasive not only in society at large, but I regret to say that I think it's pervasive um, in the treatment field. And um, and I think it's a uh, it's a virus. If I may use this language at this time, it's a virus that infects treatment professionals as well, and um, and most particularly. Um, I think uh, people who are uh, clin- clinical people, who are at the front lines of treating this disorder in its very worst manifestations, are the people who are most uh, uh, vulnerable to falling victim to uh, to this uh, this level of stigmatizing.
0: No, I, I was going to say, over the past year or so, I've written and I've I've. Uh spoken about credibility issues within our field Um, actually had a couple of plenaries speaking on that uh, that were canceled because of, of COVID-19. But one of the things that that I talk about is, is I heard a clinical director at, I believe it was high watch farm several years ago, say that uh, addiction counselors, addiction professionals uh, are also stigmatized Uh, within the field for the work that they do. And I agree, but I added a caveat. I think that we professionals are stigmatized because of their own choices and what we do. We create issues to, to show that we're not necessarily professional. And a big part of that is the language that we use. And we cannot say that because I have lived experience that I'm allowed to use those words Not in that environment you are not. When you're with your peers, and you can can refer to yourself any way you choose. And it can be empowering. But as a professional, when we're working with somebody who is struggling, um, and we know that those that seek treatment are usually the folks that have the greatest struggle because so many others are able to find recovery without treatment. So we're dealing with people that are very, very uh, vulnerable, and we're throwing words at them that they're going to internalize ultimately.
1: Um, yes, and I would uh, I would say that uh, even seeking treatment is in itself a show of, of personal strength. It's a it's a show of moral gumption to actually put my hand up and say I need your help. I can't um, uh, help I can't help myself. Um, I'm not uh, I'm not able to help myself. Uh, so I'm showing up in your ER and showing up in your treatment program. I'm showing up wherever, uh, wherever I'm showing up. That in itself is a strength. The fact that I show up at all and I'm still breathing, that's a strength. That's a moral strength. That's courage. Um, and that is um, an opening that, uh, that any professional can seize on. I'm so grateful to see you this morning. You're still, you're still with us, um, and uh, you know, sort of okay. So you're strapped to a girly with the needle hanging out of your arm. I guess this isn't, perhaps, um, you know, sort of your happiest fi- You're happy this morning, but you know, um, you're still with us, and I am so do. to see you, and uh, what is, your, what is your name? My name. I
0: think part of it is we're showing value to human life, and and that's lost quite a
1: bit. Um, Well, it's hard. It is hard to maintain um, when we're under the level of pressure that people, particularly in emergency rooms, are. There's no question about that. Um, And you know, sort of what happens in the moment. um, Well, we can apologise for it a moment later. No, no, no. Professional status does not confer um, infallibility, and the apology has been invented. But pulling back from the pulling back from the challenging moment. There's the, there's the philosophical question. And the philosophical question is very simple as far as I'm concerned. Do we believe in recovery?
0: You know, with some of the language that we use, it would appear that we don't.
1: I agree. I don't, I don't think we do. And um, uh, the more experienced um, that, we've, that, that professional uh, clinicians are, and the more that they 've been exposed to the to substance use disorder at its worst, the further many retreat from the idea that recovery is real
0: and I think that that's that 's accurate, um, and you 're stealing my thunder about credibility issues i 'm not sure I like that <laughs> but but one of the important things of somebody who is in the role of a peer or a recovery coach is that lived experience, but Bill White also talks about that lived expertise, that you can accept somebody just the way they are, meet them where they're at, and start moving forward at the pace that they're ready to go.
1: But it comes from a place of believing in recovery, Jeff. If if, if I, honest to God at my core, uh, do not believe in recovery, then it's over before it's begun, and I can be as polite as I like to anybody. But sick people have bullshit detectors, too. And, and if you don't believe in, uh, that, I, that I have or that I can have a vision of my life that's worth embracing, that is in recovery... If you don't believe that on my behalf, then why are we even having a conversation? Get out of my way. I have a bar to go to.
0: You make an absolute uh, tremendous point, and, uh, and I'm sad to say that it's incredibly accurate um, and, and that we face that uh, as we go forward.
1: Well, happily, happily um, you know, sort of SAMHSA has done some of the heavy, heavy lifting for us here the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration has done some of the the heavy lifting here. And I understand that the process was indeed heavy lifting. Um, But back in 2011, SAMHSA published a definition of recovery as a process of change which individuals improve their health and wellness live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. So when I ask you, do you believe in recovery, that's what I'm asking you to believe in. And I'm asking you to believe that your clients, the individuals you work with, wherever you are providing services on the continuum of care, I'm asking you to believe in that definition of recovery. If you don't believe in that definition of recovery, I ask you instead, what the hell are you doing in this job?
0: No, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm not sure how how many people could honestly answer, do they believe in recovery? Um, I know there are many, many, many who do. And, and so we're not you know, painting with a broad brush here. But it is a a, a question uh, that people have to ask themselves if they want to work in this field at any level.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 I believe so. So actually, um, in the the, the time honored Irish way, and taking a circuitous route uh, to answering your original question about uh, peer recovery professionals being engaged as gophers and chauffeurs, um, if If I believe, if I'm a a clinical manager or a policymaker or a supervising clinician or any person in any kind of position of authority, and I I do not believe in recovery, and you show up wanting to work uh, work for me on the basis that you have uh, lived experience, Uh, of recovery. I don't believe in recovery. Here you are showing up telling me that you want a job, you have lived experience of recovery. I'm not going to go, because I don't believe in recovery, I'm not going to go back to Sansa's lofty uh, uh, definition of recovery because I, I I think that that's rubbish. Where I'm going to go in my head is where that supervisor went when she was speaking to me. I'm going, to, I'm going to think, I'm looking at an addict who's only waiting to relapse. I'm not looking at any kind of a professional here. I'm looking at an addict who's only waiting to relapse. Or it not even take that one step further, I might say. I'm looking at a, an addict who's telling himself a fairy tale about how he's in recovery now, but I know better than that. Um, I know that he's an addict who's only waiting to relapse because an addict, that once an addict, always an addict. If that is the lens decision makers and policy makers are looking at peer recovery the professionals through, and I promise you they are, then what do I need? to bother myself with all this, you know, uh, talk that people like Ruth Riddick go on with, you know, sort of about the principles and procedures of uh, of, uh, coaching. What do I need to listen to all that nonsense for? What do I need to um, clog up my human resources or EAP with that stuff for? I don't need any of that. I just need somebody, an extra warm body, that the public health system in the form of Medicaid is going to pay me for. I just need a warm body to tidy up after everybody else, to be a gopher and a chauffeur. And we'll we'll call it good because, you know, while that here is being a gopher and a chauffeur, well, they are meeting with people who are currently in the, in the, uh, in the trove of substance abuse disorder, you know, they're 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 not they're chauffeuring people from one point to another. They're uh, going around the agency uh, looking after clinical needs. You know, sort of they are actually you know sort sort of interacting with people um, on that peer to peer basis. So you know, what's the harm here? I will not dignify them. We, I will not dignify my uh, gophers and chauffeurs by calling them professionals. Not at all. I'll call them supports. Instead, I'll call them supports, and um, you know, support uh, uh, deploying a support as a girlfriend and as a chauffeur. What's Ruth Riddick's problem with that? It's perfectly, um, it's perfectly legitimate if you have a staff member who's called a support to send them off doing support duties. Perfectly legitimate. And um, uh, you know, sort of, and, and that is a snapshot of how peer recovery professionals are being deployed um, uh, in some—not all—but uh, in some agencies. And in my view, it stems from a philosophical refusal to embrace the concept of recovery a refusal to believe that recovery is real, a refusal to accept the Sanskrit definition of a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness live a self-directed life and strive to reach their full potential."
0: and i think it's fair uh that i let our listeners in on a little secret that you and i and and other individuals are really working on uh, uh ways that recovery coaches can be true coaches and be professionals uh and be respected as such um so uh it's not all doom and gloom we're actually <laughs> we have plans in the <laughs> oh, way gosh. um as we approach the end of our time, um, I, I'm, t- I'm tempted to do what my Irish ancestors <laughs> would do, the Irish exit, and just say bye and hang up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm familiar with that tactic, yes. <laughs>
0: but I don't think that, that that's fair to you to do that. So I do want to say thank you very much for your time today. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you make me think and you make me laugh, um, uh, sometimes inappropriately, but that's enjoyable as well. <laughs> and uh, and I thank you for your honesty.
1: Well, I, I so, so much appreciate being with you, Jeff. And, um, you know, the way that I was taught, and, you know, sort of here I must acknowledge um, the, uh, the benign influence of uh, the Dominican nuns back in Dublin, the way that I was taught is, that you first de- define a problem before you design a solution, not the other way around. We must define the problem first before we design design a solution. We spoke this morning, I think, um, uh, about several aspects of the problem, um, but, but, uh, but we're equally, and I thank you for saying this, we're equally committed to uh, developing a solution. Absolutely. I've never been a support. At any point in in, um, in a long and varied career, as far as i'm concerned, a support is a wheelchair. I am not a wheelchair um i'm a professional and a professional recovery coach. I have a credential that that i that proudly advertises my status as a professional recovery coach and that um, it, uh, it it' in uh, establishing uh, recovery coaching at that level of professionalism, that level of um, engagement in um, in completing, or at least completing, the next piece of the continuum of care picture. That's what I'm committed to. Um, I'm, I'm not interested in being part of the problem. I'm interested in being part of the solution. But we have to first define the problem before we can design the solution. Thanks so much for this morning. I can't disagree
0: with anything that you've said, and and I appreciate (laughs) your time, and we will talk again
1: soon. You betcha. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Have a great day.
0: Okay, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. I'd like to again thank Ruth for joining us in all of her efforts, not only to improve the lives of lives. Of people that are seeking recovery but she's also fighting to improve the field that we work in and i find that just as important so everybody until next time